We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bivens, Vice President of Sales for Piney RX. And today I'm here with Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Allen, Vice President of Clinical Strategy. And today we're here with Shelly Spiro, Executive Director of the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative and President and CEO of Spiro Consulting. I'm usually Josh's uh, work wife, so um, just <laughs> FYI. And travel partner. Usually <laughs> we, we go to trade shows in twos and um, Mark and I initially bonded over some tacos about five years ago. Yep. And have been to- The origin story. Yeah, right. like a million different uh, trade shows together. And um, we we devolved from taco buddies to trade show buddies to work spouses. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of the best, everybody, most fulfilling relationships I've ever had. Everybody listening is like, God, it's got weird. <laughs> I'm just glad I, I'm just glad I don't have to travel uh, right now. Yeah, yeah. I was I'd say you probably travel a lot for your for your role as uh, the the head head lady over there at uh, the pharmacy HIT group. I did prior to the middle of March, uh, 2020. That's funny. Like all of us kind of remember, like my last flight was what the second week of March, 2020, right before everything shut down. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You, you, especially I I flew in from Pittsburgh that weekend and then they shut down DFW. Yep. It was the last flight I've been on. I don't even remember. Yeah. I was in Orlando for the hymns meeting and, uh, it got canceled. And so I had to fly back from there on March 6th. I, I was thinking about the other day. I really missed the uh, the quarterly live get-togethers. The the calls are all right, but man, there's just no substitute for getting 30 people in a room that you see, you know, once, twice a year. Yeah. Man. Especially in D.C. Shelly, where are you out of? I, I heard um, Vegas, actually, but I've also actually, heard D.C. I'm out of Las Vegas, Nevada, which is my hometown. Okay. I've been here since March 6th. <laughs> <laughs> so are you from Vegas or? I am. Oh, wow. Yes. I've never actually met anybody from Vegas. I've met people who lived there, yeah, but yeah, no too. one who's been from there. Well, I moved here in 1955, so I guess that would be considered uh, that I, I've been here. I was not born here, but I. I think you can. My parents moved here. Yeah, I think, you can, claim it. I think, claim, I think you can claim that as your hometown <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Uh, well, how did you, uh, so how did you get started in, in the pharmacy? What, what led, we, we like to kind of discover that with everyone, but how did, how did you get sure, into it? Sure. Well, um, I'm a pharmacist. I, I've been a pharmacist since, uh, well, over 45, over 40 years, uh, since 1976. And, um, I was always involved in looking at things from a different standpoint how could you look at processes and how can you do processes better and back at that time they really didn't have pharmacy informatics and um, so I uh, started to work with our pharmacy system vendors and just began to become a super user and really enjoyed making changes, especially because I have a long-term post-acute care background. Okay. So especially in long-term care, this was an area that was really needed. And uh, we made some changes. And that's uh, and I just pursued that. When I left um, Kindred Healthcare, which I, I worked for, uh, which I was when I, I moved there corporately, I was a national director of a senior director of health IT, what we called um, for, uh, information systems, okay. government affairs and compliance. And so that fit nicely into what I really enjoy doing. And when I opened my own consulting firm back in 2005, I just continued down that route of pharmacy informatics and and doing more to really help pharmacists with uh, pharmacy informatics. And then in 2010, the professional associations came together out of a joint commission of pharmacy practitioners initiative. 
in uh, 2010, and they formed the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, and I was named uh, the first and only executive director. <laughs> okay. Right. So I've been doing this for 10 years. You were also past president, right, of the uh, American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, correct? I was. That's correct. I was uh, past president, uh, been very active in ASCP since the 80s, and uh, have been very much involved in all the efforts and, and still very active in um, ASCP, as well as many of the other professional organizations. I really believe as a pharmacist, it's important that uh, we give back to the profession and really help with different initiatives. And this is a perfect, I mean, I'm, I'm honored to be the executive director of the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative. It's, it's been a real treat for me to uh, give back so much to the profession and to make uh, pharmacists more knowledgeable about health IT and what we really need to do in capturing clinical information and different workflows. And I have to say, Pioneer X has done a yeoman's job on making sure that um, those initiatives are, are embedded into your software and you realize the importance of not just the dispensing portion of pharmacy, but moreover the clinical documentation. Yeah. So one thing I, I think was surprising to me to learn about for the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative is really kind of what it is. It was one of those groups that I'd never even heard of until I worked for Pioneer. Um, so for the, the people out here that are like me uh, two years ago, you know, just kind of tell us what Pharmacy HIT is built to do and it's kind point. of the cross collaborative of all the people that seed it. Yep. Sure. Well, as I said, it was formed in 2010 by the National Pharmacy Professional Associations and in August 2010. So we're actually going into our 11th year. And then um, we opened it up to associate members uh, in November of 2010. And we wrote our roadmap document, which had Oh, a hundred strategies. Of what we, really, was an environmental scan of where pharmacy really needs to be. But the main mission of the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative is focused on pharmacists that provide clinical services and how those clinical services are integrated into the national health IT infrastructure. And I think that that's the really important piece. We don't really get into the dispensing side of pharmacy, okay. but really looked at as as how pharmacists can integrate integrate using and leveraging health IT. I actually wrote a paper on what we call digital transformation in, in, um, in the pharmacy for, for cl uh, clinical pharmacists. And what digital transformation is, is really changing the business, your business, and leveraging technology to do your business better. And that's how we really approached the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, was looking at what we really needed to do from a pharmacist standpoint with clinical services and how can we standardize, bring the standards towards that and really begin to develop the coding system that we use, uh, such as the international coding system and the standards that are out there, the HL7 and NCPDP standards that are out there and how we can leverage those so that uh, pharmacists can standardize the, the clinical collection and sharing in an interoperable way information and data that they're collecting. I, I hear this so many times, of, of, and especially from pharmacy vendors, we have to connect to another system yeah. and write an interface to another system. It becomes very, very difficult, time-consuming, and costly for the, the customers of, of vendors to, to do that. And we had some pharmacies that are that are trying to document in 15 different uh, systems on the clinical side uh, for MTM services and connection with other types of payers and other types of programs. And it just became too onerous for the pharmacist to provide those clinical services. So we had to work with uh, the pharmacy profession and others to build the type of payment model to uh, make sure that pharmacists can be paid for those clinical services. But instead of really forcing technology on our uh, pharmacists with different types of technology, if we could just standardize and leverage the standards, we would be able to maximize the productivity of pharmacists 
in their practices. So it became seamless. Now, this is not a unique type of situation. We see that, saw this a lot years ago on the dispensing side when the pharmacy dispensing systems, I mean, I'm an older pharmacist, so I remember <laughs> filling out a claim to all the different payers until NCPDP came about with the universal claim form, which then standardized the claim. So the pharmacists, in this, especially the system vendors, were able to focus on the workflow in relationship to the dispensing functions, which made the pharmacist more productive on the, on the dispensing side. So we took that same type of concept. If we can get pharmacists to work with their system vendors on building out the clinical functions within their system and, and a focus on the workflow. So JCPP, the Joint Commission of Pharmacy Practitioners, oh, I think it was back in 2013, okay. they formed, uh, they created the, J the pharmacist patient care process, which are steps that are used and, uh, to make sure that pharmacists are capturing clinical information in a standard way because we had pharmacists that were collecting information following soap notes and mm -hmm. uh, trying to document into uh, other uh, clinicians' EHRs, and it became just too cumbersome for the pharmacist uh, to use. And so we really tried to work with system vendors, find a model of which we did with Community Care in North Carolina to really test the model to see if we can get the pharmacist, no matter what system they have, because we want to be vendor agnostic and make sure that uh, those pharmacists were able to capture information in a very standard way, but share that using the, the nationally recognized standards. And uh, I think we were very successful as your, as Pioneer Rx has been one of the, one of the more successful uh, system vendors for pharmacists documenting clinical services. Yeah. The fun part about the JCPP, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to one of my old pharmacists, Mimi. Um, Mimi's biggest, like, I, I think every slide deck she ever built had the JCPP process wheel on it. It's got like a little wheel <laughs> with like five sections. We, you, um, we used to give her a hard time about that. We call it that. the wheel of life. The wheel of life. <laughs> the wheel of, okay. That, that's fitting. Yeah. All right. So, so it sounds like you were NCPDP attacked kind of standardization of how to submit and dispense in a technical way and getting paid for the format and transmitting that data. You guys are looking at it like, let's do the kind of, and I'm going to oversimplify this to a degree, Shelly. Um, same way, kind of the same approach NCPDP took, but let's, let's, let's try to standardize the way data is captured, um, transmitted, and payment models are applied in a clinical services environment with pharmacy. That's correct. But there's there's two very important pieces. Number one, NCPDP standards are not really meant for clinical documentation. Right. But we harmonized with HL7. So we did the work at NCPDP and brought that work to HL7. And this was important because going back to the mission of the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, we wanted to make sure that we were integrating into the national HIT infrastructure. So organizations like ONC, the Office of the National mm -hmm. Coordinator for Health IT, CMS, were, um, were writing into regulation the use of HL7 for for hospitals and physicians' offices, if you remember the Meaningful Use Incentive right. Program. And since pharmacy was not part of that, we still thought it was important to integrate with uh, the same type of standards that the national organizations, uh, the government organizations nationally were, were uh, touting that we should be using. And that's how we came up with the pharmacist's electronic care plan. Right. And, and that's one of the things to think about is historically pharmacy and health. And I, I, I almost want to slap myself for saying health pharmacy and medical insurance have operated in two different worlds and pharmacists and physicians have operated in two different worlds. It would almost be like in the internet of having to think about, well, I want to send this email to this person and having a whole different language, giving the, you know, using those same types of, you know, HL seven and SNOMED codes, it allows you to send that to anybody that can receive it. So it's the it's the beauty of you know email. You can send it to anybody. Right. It just works yeah. because it uses the same standard. This is the same idea, right? Being able to share exactly. clinical content over the same standard with anybody who 
also has a computer. Right. So the foundation of the pharmacy e-care plan started here. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and we all know how much. Started we're, with we're, me. <laughs> and we all know. Uh, how, I, could, I could actually tell you where it started. Oh, well, let's get yeah. yeah, let's uh, Let's talk actually, about that. Uh, CMS and ONC held a meeting for long-term and post-acute care. Okay. And this was back in around 2013. They started, uh, they, they began to, as we began to look at the patient as the center of the model, that group came together and said, well, we need a plan of health for our patients because the high-risk patients who are in long-term post-acute care, you know, home care and right. hospice and some of those other areas weren't able, they were, they were going from one provider to the other. And so the e-care plan was just beginning to come about within HL7. And they tagged on to that, especially for chronic care management. And chronic care management, uh, uh, CMS was paying physicians for chronic care management under the team-based codes. And they, uh, their first aspect was actually to force uh, the physicians to use an electronic care plan as a means for documenting chronic care conditions and uh, or chronic care management. And the it was interesting, and it was also related to transitions of care, but that's where we they really started to push the e-care plan and where we began to jump on to, we meaning the, the pharmacy profession, began to jump on to the pharmacist's electronic care plan, creating a profile that was specific with examples for pharmacists and the system vendors to get them to adopt uh, what, what at that time was CCDA yeah. and CC, the CCDA standard. But we were lucky enough uh, because we worked with the Lantana Consulting Group and that uh, Lantana Consulting Group, which was part of an ONC high-impact pilot, along with CCNC and Pioneer Rx was one also, um, that uh, Rick Geimer, who was uh, one of the stand, one of the, the co-chairs for the HL7 Structured Documents Workgroup, they were beginning to work on uh, CCDA on FIRE which is really the fire standard. And it just because um, organizations such as yourselves really didn't, uh, didn't have the older architecture built into an EHR, right. you picked up on fire really quick because mm -hmm. it's yeah. what it stands for is uh, fast healthcare interoperability resources. They're pre-programmed concepts and uh, ways of exchanging very fast. So before, if you're building a CCDA structured document, that could take you uh, months to, to, to do the programming on it. But with uh, FIRE, you can program within hours of what would have taken you months to do. And nice. uh, we were just lucky enough that uh, we had that ability to be the test for, <laughs> for yeah. CCDA on FIRE. And it's taken off from there. And, and we, we finished uh, the, the, the release four ba ballot uh, back in May 2020. And uh, we're moving forward as the government is beginning to write regulations for fire. We're, we're right in step with what is happening with the other uh, gov with government agencies and regulations. So we can be interoperable with other types of care providers and part of the care team. Right. right. Well, interestingly, and, and maybe ironically, we all of the pharmacy vendors I think with the with the exception of one or two adopted fire. Yeah, we didn't do CCDA. We right? skipped right over it. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, it was, yeah. It was yeah. burdensome to develop. But the interesting thing is, all of the EHRs were already embedded in CCDA. Right. That's where and we thought we were going to see some success when we were submitting care plans originally. When we first like right top, you know, we first cracked this out, and then we were like, oh, what? everyone's still using the old. Right. Standard. Yeah. Our our initial goal was cool. C, uh, CPSN is a great place to send care goals, but it can't be the only place. Right. right. So at some point we're going to have to exchange information with EHRs and be able to consume and make clinical decisions off of that. Or we've just created an extra piece of work. And then we find out that the EHRs are two years away from being able to accept fire documents. But and Shelley, what yeah. do you think? They're getting closer, <laughs> right? Oh, yes. There, there is a huge, well, I don't know if you know this, but actually it was on the 
uh, ONC, uh, what they call Health IT Advisory Committee call today. Um, We have a new national coordinator, uh, Mickey uh, Trapathy. And I've known Mickey for quite a few years, and he's very good. And they, uh, CMS is beginning to write regulations now for fire. And more interesting, there is a huge project, and you probably know this, Josh, uh, on the payer side with the health plans. I'm not talking about the PBMs. I'm talking about the health plans themselves with the Da Vinci Project to really uh, leverage their technology to capture information directly from EHRs. And we're right in step with the pharmacist's electronic care plan, which fits nicely into pharmacy models because we're used to dealing with payers and we're used to dealing in that particular type of a community because the physician's offices especially are not really prepared at this time to accept uh, fire types of e-care plans and until they build out their workflow. But there is a push by the government, a huge push with the interoperability rule and the information blocking rule to really push um, those organizations to adopt the fire resources and the exchange. You know, I don't want this to devolve into an hour long of nerding out about IT, but well, we, once you, once that's you, what we do. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. Oh, sorry, but that's what I do. Kind of what right? we do here in a way. We um, live that. But you know, like yeah. one of the things that kind of is on the mind, like I see a lot of research around it as well, is once you can share that information, you create a new problem, which is what do you do with it? Right. Imagine if you're a, a I mean, imagine if you're Epic and you're getting. MedList updates for patients from, you know, say somebody goes from a hospital inpatient setting to a post-acute care into an LTC and then maybe back to the hospital in that 30-day window, you could potentially have four care plans just with that. And then you have pharmacy care plans come in. So now you've got six or seven different lists of allergies, six or seven different lists of health conditions, med recs that have happened five or six times. So you have the single source of truth problem that we still have to solve. I, I totally agree, but once once I think those organizations realize that a pharmacist has reconciled the med list, and uh, and there's some there's some trust that goes with, and and you have actors that you can identify where that care plan came from, mm-hmm. that you're more apt to take that information as the source of truth. Now, any any organization that's receiving information is going to have to do some type of reconciliation, whether that's immunization reconciliation or medication reconciliation, allergy, problem list. They're all going to mm-hmm. have to have some type of reconciliation process that they go through. And so that's that's something that even pharmacists are going to have to deal with that also. So it's not anything new to right. what we're doing from a paper standpoint as opposed to an electronic standpoint. We just have to work the workflow of all of that information into a dashboard that's going to help those providers do that type of reconciliation. Right. Yeah, it's just the um, you were drinking from a, a slow moving fountain before and now you're drinking straight out of a fire hydrant. <laughs> well, I mean, I, but again, you're drinking out of a fire hydrant in a manual process. The issue is you're not paying attention to the information right. that's coming in, whether that's uh, verbally or electronically and or by paper. And so th- there's nothing new to that. Mm-hmm. I, but we think that by leveraging the technology portion, you can then um, adopt uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence to weed through some of the areas so that your algorithms are actually set up in a way that you're receiving the information. That's what the vendors have to begin to do. And they haven't, right. they, and I don't, I don't mean uh, Pioneer X. I mean, the, the all of we'll, we'll take it. vendors. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. take it though. Yeah. We, well, you we know, know. And, and that was in, in our last pharmacy HIT meeting that I went to, I Missed last one. Sorry about that. Um, I'm in trouble. Um, but, you know, one of the things we yeah. talked about is we found, you know, with the care plan specifically, if they're not integrated into the workflow, they, they just don't. don't happen. Yeah, they don't. Right? Not, so, at, not at scale. Right? right. And a lot of those is we'll be able to receive all that information and be able to distill it down and be like, all right, here's the five important things. Okay, go. 
that that's really the beauty of what we can do from right. an IT perspective. So, so in the sense of like, um, now most of our audience here is going to be community pharmacy. So in the sense of like how it could impact a community pharmacy, you're look, you're Shelly, kind of what I hear you saying, and maybe Josh too, is system vendors will have to start figuring out or creating rules engines of going, hey, I trust this because this is the doctor, so I'll allow it to update diagnosis codes, but I won't allow it to maybe update X, Y, or Z, or put it in a queue for them to review mm-hmm. um, to look at that. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, or you know, maybe you could use some probabilistic matching. Say if you get three care plans from three disparate groups and they all have the same, you know, they have a diagnosis code of E11, that's probably okay. You can trust that that patient has type two diabetes. And yeah, I remembered that it's yeah. Even. I was the same. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah. Well, no, and, yeah. and and but it's no different than what we have today mm-hmm. with paper. I mean, you can get a PDF or a fax or something that's coming into you. What do you do? You just file it away. You don't even right. look at it. So until we can consolidate the information into dashboards or usable information, this is one of the reasons why you haven't seen the physician's offices and even some of the hospitals do a good job of, of, in, of input of information. They do a great job of sending it out, yeah, but right. they don't do a really good job well, of bringing of ingesting it. into their Frankly, systems. Frankly, yes. even all of the pharmacy vendors, us included, were great at sending them out. I think that's every, uh, everybody's struggling with that. Yeah. We're, do, we're doing it b- better yeah. now with eScripts and things like that. But yeah, right. eScripts not a problem. But yeah, yeah. Care, if we needed to receive a care plan that wasn't ours, yeah, you know, how, yeah. okay, okay, <laughs> right. What uh, are we well, going to do? We can send them all day. It's going to start coming, oh, yeah. and this is what uh, what we'll have to be thinking about. And one of the things that we're promoting through the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, especially with our system vendor partners, is you're going to have to start putting this concept into your development cycle. Because if you're going to be successful, that dashboard of information for the pharmacist to concentrate on those high-risk patients and where they could really make an impact and have positive outcomes and be able to get through quality measures in relationship to payment, such as a value-based payment model, we're going to have to start thinking in those terms of how we receive information and how the pharmacists are able to view all of that information in a meaningful way. So you kind of see this moving into, I know this is a rat, really round around the clinical picture of the patient. Um, obviously, we're seeing it used as a mechanism sometimes for payment um, with some pilot payers and things like that. Is that kind of the original design when when the eCare plan was designed? Or I see I see a smile and a grin and a shake and a head. So. That's a definitive no. <laughs> so, so, or, or more of an information exchange because it's kind of being used, I think, at times in in the way where it's like, hey, this is a form of payment or payment ne- payment mechanism. That's more of a, the pharmacies don't really know right now how to speak a different language. So the medical billing, they're like, yeah, just if you send me a care plan, I'll, I'll count that as a payment. But it was not intended to do that. Well, the the care plan was really set up to share with the care team, to share information with the care team, not the payer. But we had a problem in pharmacy because our pharmacists were not, didn't have a right, didn't have a payment model for clinical services outside of MTM. And so it's sort of like the chicken and the egg, which Mm -hmm. do you build first? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's what the CPSN network has done is create a network for a payment model so that you can apply the right pharmacist resources to the clinical services that you want to be paid for. Um, so it's not, not as much uh, the, the strict payment of the claim because there are different types of ways that you could get paid, right. uh, such as in value-based payment models, you could be paid on a per-beneficiary level payment per month, per like year. Like a per-member per, per month, like a capitated payment per month. Right. right, or a capitated rate. And so there are, there are other different types of payment models, but if we didn't have something that was focused on the payment, we would never get the adoption by the pharmacists because they couldn't apply resources right. to it. Yeah. Now, the nice thing that I think the next generation, and Shelly, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I think part of the nice part of the, the as FIRE evolves is that the standard does have a place where you can put billing codes in that payload and then use that to generate, you know, an X12, which is the, the medical billing claim. So you kind of get the best of both worlds where you can transfer information and be like, 
I did all of this clinical work. Oh, by the way, this next process is going to generate the medical claim. Well, hold on to your hats because Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There, there, is, there is more that's happening. That, that is an interim fee-for-service model. And so what, what is really happening is uh, way past that. So there was a report that came out in 2010. It was called the PCAST report. PCAST stands for the President's Councils of, of, uh, of Advisors of Science and Technology. And in that report, the vision is that uh, providers would document everything that they needed in their EHR. And the quality and the payer organizations would come by and pick up that information and pay you based off of the value that you're providing. Therefore, you wouldn't have to create a claim. There right. would be no need to create a claim. They're listening you could, basically already, right? I mean, that was back in 2010 that this, this concept came about, and that's what ONC and CMS has been driving towards, especially with value-based payment models, and what the Da Vinci Project on the health plan side has been trying to uh, do. So you will uh, definitely have something similar that CPSN does, is they'll come by and start pulling information out of your system or requesting information out of your system, and then it will automatically generate the payment for you with with uh, your contractual agreement with the different payers. And that model is not far away. Uh, there are tests of, of those types of models, definitely on the hospital and on the physician office side, uh, but in some of the accountable care organizations have begun those types of models. But we're still in a fee-for-service model, and that's why you're going to have to have interim solutions of uh, coming up with the medical claim, which is what you're dealing with now, right. and how the clinical documentation meets the requirements for the the X12837 professional claim, which is your medical claim. Right. How how close do you think we are to to kind of going into that? Sounds like what you describe is like a data lake with a bunch of listeners for results, right? And value-based care going, hey, how did we perform in this patient population for this disease or this network? And then payment, and then doing payments based on that. How how close do you think we are in the pharmacy side? Well, we're we're a hell of a lot farther than any of the <laughs> any of the physicians' offices. I will tell you that. Yes, and that was our that was our objective. Our objective was if we can get pharmacists to adopt these types of standards and good clinical documentation, we wouldn't be left behind, as we were left behind on other types of medical claim type of of processes. And so that was the intent. I mean, there was a point that we were on the cutting edge, but I will tell you right now, we're definitely on the bleeding edge. But you have to realize the health plans are focused on hospital and uh, physician's offices. And until we can move toward away from uh, a PBM type of model that's uh, a cost-based model based off of the dispensing of medications and become a true clinical model, this is why it's important to work with the health plans and something very similar to what CPSN has tried to do. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 going to happen, but at least we won't be left behind. At least um, we will have the systems and the processes and the technology in place to be part of the end solution that the government is looking at, so that they can budget appropriately for health care and provide good quality care. The what they call the quadruple aim. The quadruple aim. I haven't yeah. heard that. So it, it what is that? It migrated from the uh, the <laughs> dropping the, all sorts of terms. I mean. The initial part <laughs> was a triple aim, and then oh, gotcha. what about five years ago, maybe longer, yeah. they added it into the yeah. quadruple aim, which is what it's for for one fold better okay. than the triple aim. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nice. You're not going to make me go look up what uh, I, no, don't, no, I, I, know, I know it's population health. We'll put it in the content. Uh, we'll put it in the comments. Quality. It, it, the original one was cost, quality, and access. And I, I think the fourth one is patient related. I um, gotcha. But okay. It's basically the, the four main strategic imperatives for healthcare reform in this country. I digress. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Josh is good for that kind of stuff. I usually have to throw things. He's usually a really good repository of 
of I, I am of a purveyor of, of use, random facts, of useful facts, and sometimes useless facts. I, I'm but. better at useless facts. <laughs> oh, real, real quick. So before we leave any of that stuff, but so you know the pharmacy HIT collaborative, along with like CCNC, you guys were kind of obviously bleeding edge of eCare plan, how to document and stuff, and. I don't know if I'll get in trouble, but we've sent, I don't know, over like a million, million and a half uh, e-care plans. Almost a million and a half now. And, and along with pharmacy in general, sending a ton, you got to feel a little bit accomplished to a degree. I know that's, that's 10 years coming, right? Or, or however long it took to, to get you there. But um, between you and, and everybody else that helped in that, in that group. Well, well see, I, I'm a strategic thinker. I, I think what's going to happen in the future, not necessarily what we're doing today. And I think that's important from a technology standpoint, because as system vendors, you understand that you have to be prepared for what's coming down in the future. And that's what we've tried to do with the Pharmacy HIT Collaboratives, really prepare system vendors and pharmacists for what's going to happen. Because we were so far behind, not necessarily on the dispensing side, but on the clinical side, that we had to take a big leap forward. And uh, we took a really big leap forward, and that's why we, we are part of the bleeding age a bleeding edge of, of this type of technology. But it's to assure that pharmacists will have value in the future. And if we didn't do this, look how far behind we would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. But don't underestimate, too, the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, 10 years ago, we started um, identifying the SNOMED codes and the, uh, the, um, the coding that uh, takes place so we can standardize that prior to giving that information to the system vendors as part of the care plan. And we built that into it. This is something that the other healthcare providers have not done. Mm. They have not begun to codify in a way to help the system vendors with value sets. You realize that the value sets that you use as part of the National Library of Medicine's Value Set Authority Center was originally set up to set up value sets for quality measures. We utilized the value set so we had a public place to put these codes so that any system vendor would be able to have access access to it. And that's back to what Pharmacy HIT is trying to do in being vendor agnostic and allowing you as a system vendor to write the user interfaces and prepare a system that your customers want. And then you're not stuck with everybody having to use an Epic or a Cerner system. Right. Right. Well, and to kind of highlight the magnitude of that, when you go to build a care plan today, you know, we may give you a drop down list of 12 or 13 items, right? That's more than most pharmacists want, but that's what you need to describe the the situation. If you didn't have somebody like the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative maintaining those value sets, the entire code base of SNOMED's, what, about 350,000 items now? Yes, it, it's an over un, that. Right. It's mm-hmm. an unsearchable amount of things to look for. So you're basically getting all of this repository of information of when I describe um, an encounter with a patient as a pharmacist, these are the 50 most common things I do. Right. That That's huge. And but more, But more importantly, it allowed the pharmacy profession, like AMA did with CPT codes, to drive the correct standardization of of clinical documentation so that they can oversee that portion on behalf of the pharmacy profession. And that's what came out of the ACT uh, ACT, uh, program, uh, the Academia CPSN uh, transformation. I can't remember what the T stands for. But um, where the schools (laughs) of pharmacy... We're, and and that's what Mimi Baker from when she was with Pioneer RX worked with AACP um, as uh, creating this process so that as we begin to teach our pharmacy students this type of clinical documentation, begin to standardize that clinical documentation, no matter what system they're using, that they would be able to understand those concepts on a standard way of documenting and not have to not have to fall into those processes that the physicians are doing because the physician workflow is entirely different 
from the pharmacist workflow. The physicians are focused on leading to an assessment to a diagnosis. And pharmacist workflow look at the patient as a whole and all the medications they're on and how those medications work within the body of, of that patient. And so it's an entirely different workflow. And we, we wouldn't do well in, in working on a physician-based uh, software. And just for those out there, we are still working with AACP and Nitty Gandhi to get that taught in more pharmacy student or f- pharmacy schools. Uh, right now, we're in twenty-four of the hundred and yeah. thirty. Uh, yeah, There's something pharmacy like schools. Hundred forty. Hundred forty. Yeah. Yeah. How do we so, feel about how, how do you feel about that number getting higher? Um, I, I feel like there's no chance that number topic. continues to go higher. Really? I, I think in five years you'll see twenty or thirty of those pharmacy schools no longer accepting patients. Patients. I mean, or and students. this is this is really important. I mean, when I went to pharmacy school, you had your lab was about compounding and mixing and preparing suppositories and tablets. The labs now within pharmacy schools are clinical based. Um, you're meeting with patients and you're you're doing clinical documentation. This is critical to uh, not only advancing but maintaining the profession of pharmacy, right? In all practice settings. So, so you're saying is like you can't continue to either grow class size because of the material being taught, or well, so I, I think there's two things. There are too many pharmacy schools that came about when they swapped from a. BS in pharmacy to a PharmD in what 1998, I think. I they just the date. they had a they had a basically a gap year of pharmacy students not going into the the group, and then they went into a PharmD program, added another year, then they started adding residency. So it artificially made it look like there were fewer pharmacy students coming out and more pharmacy positions opening up, and then that corrected. Right, and then you also had you know, you didn't need eight pharmacists to run a Walgreens doing 300 scripts a day if you're just counting by fives and using robots, right? So the more robotics and more automation that came out, it just, highlighted, demand, yeah, right? it just highlighted the fact that you don't really need that many pharmacists. So until there's a more, a, a larger transition of pharmacists adapting clinical roles, which they can't now for whatever legal regulatory reasons, you just don't need that many pharmacists and it's going to be hard to convince a kid to go to school and come out of pharmacy school, 200 grand in debt and not have a job for a year. They're going to stop going. And some of them should, right? And there's just too many pharmacy students. It's interesting. I, I just, I hear that a lot and just in general, I didn't mean to like completely twist the subject, yeah. but, but um, I, I wanted to get I would, your take. I would drop like 20% of the pharmacy schools, but I don't get control over that. Well, and, and, and really from the pharmacy HIT Clever standpoint, that really wasn't our concern. Our concern was to have a standard way to document the clinical services and make sure that we train our, our, our students for doing that because we were training our students for clinical services. But when they get out into the community, all they were doing was dispensing. Right. And mm-hmm. so this is where you get into the chicken and the egg, which yeah. one comes first. Right. But if you can't build the technology infrastructure for this type of model, it won't work. And right. that's, what we, that's what we really focused on and continue to focus on for clinical services because we believe that Eventually, that pharmacists will be able to to use their judgmental decisions on high risk patients and not have to work with and not have to focus on the minutia of some of the uh, non clinical services that we're providing. And we believe that this will save the profession. But more importantly, we were able to save the independent community pharmacy. Um, environment and setting. And this was important because what we were finding, especially with the larger chains, is they were focused on the dispensing portion and the, it would become cost prohibitive for some of the community pharmacies to continue with and, and compete with some of the larger chains. And this way, it allowed um, the community pharmacists to really focus on community services 
uh, clinical services within a community pharmacy because we believe that this is where the government really wants to focus on, especially in the rural areas and the underserved areas right. where we are really seeing high risk, risk patients. Right. And, you know, that ties, this is why working with AACP makes a ton of sense, right? You want the kids mm -hmm. coming out of pharmacy school to be trained to do that. You want them to go into rotations with doctors, nurses, and all the other groups in those care teams that are already doing those things, all speak the same language, all come out expecting to work in a team environment. And when they graduate, you don't want them to be happy counting by fives, right? You want them to push the envelope of this is what pharmacists should be doing. So I, I think all that alignment works really well. You have to have the infrastructure. You have to have the people that expect to do those things. No, that makes, that makes total sense. I, I kind of want to hit on the the pharmacy HIT and, you know, like, so your son's involved as well. Um, how did it become a family, a family affair? Yeah, it kind of became a family <laughs> affair. Well, I, I don't know if you know this too. Like my, my, daughter and, my daughter and son-in-law <laughs> are also pharmacists um, here in the Las Vegas area. My daughter works for, for Optum Care um, on the long-term care side. And uh, my um, son-in-law works for hospital pharmacy. But... Um, the in 2005, when I left Kindred Healthcare and I formed my own consulting firm, uh, that's how we actually. I'm under contract with the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative. They just bought all my time, mm -hmm. and so uh, we are a family-owned business. And uh, my son is uh, the uh, is, is one of the vice presidents of our consulting firm, and he manages all of. He's our uh, our um, associate manager for the, our manager for the, um, pharmacy HIT collaborative. But, uh, yeah, my other son, I have three children. My oldest son, uh, works for SAP. Uh, so he's also involved in technology. Oh, so you got a mix of pharmacists and technologists and in some cases, both in your family. Nice. Definitely. Definitely. Um, what do you guys do for, um, fun what do you guys do? what are you what are you what are you doing for fun do you even have time for fun it sounds like you're so busy well actually uh we just got two um pandemic puppies oh. uh they're both sisters from the same litter uh they are 11 weeks old uh tomorrow and they are um maltese poodle mixes and they're cute as ever, and they have been keeping me up all night. So if you see my eyes going slowly <laughs> down, I'm start dot, dot, still so, taking care of puppies. And would that be I considered a multi-poo? So I don't know <laughs> why we did this. I don't know, but we decided to uh, help the uh, world out and take on to uh, adopting two new puppies. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we, we, I, we, we didn't do this in the pandemic, but right before it, we did, we got cats. Your people are going to judge me, but I have like two dogs and four cats at my house. So <laughs> I get what you're saying. I'm literally ripping up carpet because of it. <laughs> the yeah. I'm about to have to redo my floors as well for a, a, yeah. a rescue dog that we got like five years ago. Yeah. He is, uh, he has some separation anxiety and when he's anxious, he will try to escape wherever he's at which includes my house and the walls <laughs> in my house. So hopefully, oh. hopefully with a couple of multi-poos, yeah. they won't go nuts on your, your walls. No, you know what? They've been really good. And, and we talked about getting two because I think that helps with the separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That they have each other. And so it's more normal for them. And uh, not that I really wanted two, but I really felt it was important to, that they happen to be available and, two sisters and we thought yeah. it would be good because they would be used to each other. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of having dogs in pairs. Like I've, we've had two sets of dogs. We're on our second set of two now and they're both older rescues and they're a little bit crazy, but they're fun. Also as a, an interesting side note, there are some countries that won't allow you to buy just one Guinea pig because they're so social. What? That, I didn't know that. Yeah. You're I supposed to buy two. Either. Yeah. Apparently buying one shortens their lifespan by like half. Because they're really lonely. I didn't know yeah. that. That's, that's, Countries regulate that? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I can't I'm sorry, remember. Like a, I'm not saying there's bigger <laughs> fish to fry. I'm just. I, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to Google it. But it's like, it's a random country too that will not allow you to buy one guinea pig. New Guinea? Uh, I, it's not New Guinea. <laughs> sorry. That's where, that, that's where that, I was. That was the worst dad joke I've heard on this I'm show sorry, so far. I know. Um, 
<laughs> so, you know, if you, if you ever feel on the need to get a guinea pig, too. I don't think we're going to do guinea pigs. <laughs> like we're, we're done with I the dogs. This is, this is our last set of, of dogs we will have. I have, yeah. I have said that. I've said that twice. I've said that the whole time I've had the, the, the farm that I have at the moment. We're like <laughs> not doing this again anywhere. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to impress you, Shelly. Um, the, the country that has that regulation is Switzerland. And he magically came up with that answer. <laughs> we have a great, great studio partner. Um, her name is Madison that uh, okay. finds all that information. We actually have the other uh, four things that the uh, the uh, quadruple aim is. I, I will say they're, they're... You guys were really close. You guys were almost spot on. Yeah, so apparently the, uh, the quadruple aim is improved clinical experience, right. better outcomes, lower cost, and improved patient yeah, experience. Yeah, you guys got it. Got Which, it. You guys were right. I mean, nuts and bolts... Right. It's all about cost, quality, access, and patience, right? Right. So, right. Although, when I did my MBA, I had this, um, one of my professors was a retired physician, super, super smart guy. And he was like, it, this was back when it was still the, the triple aim, and it was cost, quality, and access. And he was like, the Affordable Care Act is built as a, as a foundation to do what? And everybody in there is like, cost. And he's like, nope, it's access. You're all wrong. And we're like... Okay. Well, well, and he's like, you we? know what you can't do? You can't improve cost and quality without messing up access. And you can't improve access without messing up one of the other two. So it's like that fast, cheap, and Fast, cheap, and good, and good right? Pick two. Right. And yeah. so that triple aim was kind of like, he's like, I don't think you can do all three. And <laughs> so far, he's proven to be correct. So I have a, I have a, I have a question for you. Oh, Uh-oh. I love this. I love it when our guests bring <laughs> questions. I love it. Well, I had I heard not. that Pioneer X was sold to Red Sail. Oh, okay. Technology. Yep. No yep. secret there. Yep. And uh, just um, number one, wanted to say that's great. Uh, I was a QS1 user for 14 years when I was a practicing pharmacist. So oh, glad okay. to see that you guys are teaming up and in some way, hopefully eventually in the future. And uh, just wanted to congratulate you and and get your thoughts on what you think of the merger. I'll let you go first. <laughs> I mean, so, I'll go a second. <laughs> so I think one of the things that was really cool about, you know, in that whole merger process is usually in, in that M&A world, one of the companies that happens to, right? Somebody comes along and buys you and some people may or may not have wanted that to happen. And that was definitively not what happened with us. You know, we kind of got to pick our new masters um, the, the executive team at Red Sail is really, really smart. You know, even when we met them, not even in a kind of sales environment, you know, Craig and Francis, super, super smart people, great vision. Um, and it aligned with what we wanted to do. Um, so I, I've been super excited about it. I've been busier than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why my attendance at the HIT meetings has been spotty. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's exciting. It gives us a ton of opportunity. Um, and, and the aligned vision around the whole piece is really what we can do with the profession of pharmacy. And that's really kind of aligned with my, my personal incentives. So I've been happy and professionally excited and personally <laughs> excited. So yeah, I, I think what you'll see coming out in the next couple of years will be really, really fun and foundational to what pharmacy becomes. That's awesome. I'm I'm very very pleased to hear that. And anything that we can do to help you, yeah. um, as part of the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, we're definitely in support of that. Yeah, and and I've had a lot of candid conversations with just you know in sales people people heard about it. Some people called and were like, "Hey, what's going on?" Um, maybe pause for cause, whatever. But um, I'll say this: like like Josh said, we got to pick where we went. So we we literally said. We really want to make an impact in independent community pharmacy, like those two words for sure. Um, and so we kind of got to go, no, 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 yes, right? And and because the Dixons, you know, to their credit, could have put us out for bid. I totally yeah. couldn't and got the highest price and then said, see you later, go deal with it. But um, they, were, they were nice enough not to do that with us. And really the whole point of coming together is trying to take a big swing at – what the future of independent community pharmacy looks like, you know, and that's still dispensing really, really well, doing that as efficiently mm-hmm. and as good as you can in, in a pharmacy system while layering on like 
clinical services and, and, and other revenue streams for them. Um, we know margins are shrinking. Right. And if we don't expand margins again, you know, then, then I think we look back and we say we failed. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things that we looked at before this whole thing came around was we knew what we were doing is exciting for pioneer users. And we knew we needed to be about twice or three times the size of what we are to be able to have the impact in the, the industry, especially when you're comparing to other PBM owned pharmacies. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think we had the time to get there organically. So it was kind of a, you know, when you can take a shot, you take it. And yeah, we did. So this is fun. It's exciting. We're learning to integrate. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'll say that. We're learning. <laughs> I'm learning. I've never done this before with a big merger like this, you know, or, and things like that. So we're, I'm learning. Right. And, I'm, and so everyone, if anyone's listening that works with me, I'm sorry and be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Growing pains are real, well, but right. they're fun. We hope that uh, this will help also with the pharmacist electronic care plan yeah. and continue mm-hmm. on in, yes. in uh, the clinical service arena for the independent community pharmacies. I think that this is important. Uh, moving forward. And, the, and truthfully, the more that our vendors consolidate, it makes it a lot easier to work with the larger EHR vendors, um, as we've seen with some of the larger chain pharmacies. I could see that, um, where if you're chasing a fragmented market all the time, it can be tough. Right. I mean, and that's the same reason we hear from payers and manufacturers talking about, well, I know, it, I, I understand the thought that an independent pharmacy provides better clinical care, but I can't contract with 60,000 of you. I can contract with three people. I'm going to pick the three biggest contracts I can get. I um, mean, that's where, you know, CPSN adds a ton of value as well, but I couldn't imagine trying to herd those many, that many cats. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. So uh, what role will Jeff be playing in the, in the Good company? question. He's still over um, Pioneer. Um it really, he, he's not going anywhere. He, he, he tells everybody, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to be on a boat <laughs> after <Right>. this. And <laughs> the whole point of pursuing this and he led it too, along with us, but, um, and the, and the rest of the management team was, we, we've, we feel like we need to do our part to try to make sure this profession is sustain, sustainable. And, and we feel like expanding margin through clinical services, helping them buy them better, adding transparency. He, he wants, I think he's been on record. He wants to get rebates out of the game. And, and so, yeah, he's, he's probably more energized than ever. <laughs> I'll say that. That's great. That's great. Well, we're really happy for you. And again, anything that we can do yeah. to help, uh, we're here for you. And, and uh, if you want to go back and kind of hear Jeff and Craig's take, um, I think episode 15 is where um, we did with uh, Craig McEwen, the CEO of Red Sail and and, mm-hmm. and Jeff, yeah. and I think Doug, you know, it was. Yeah. Doug Huey was the moderator ish. Right. Yeah. Um, of uh, NCPA, and uh, he, had, he he has some hard hitting questions. Yeah. So he wasn't he was candid. So so I, I welcome him. I'll have a convert candid conversation with anybody. To be honest, that was that candid. Was <laughs> <laughs> now, now it's now my you turn got for the a dad, dad joke. joke. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll have to go back and listen to that episode. Then. Nobody's laughing but me and you. Yeah, it's cool. And I hope you know as, as we get out of the pandemic travel mode, um, I'm sure you'll see and meet Craig. He's a super hands on guy. Really dynamic. I, I think you'll five minutes of talking to him and you'll know exactly why he's the CEO and why he's the right dude. Well, Shelly, thanks for being on and, um, and, and really thank you for, for what you're doing and helping community pharmacy um, from your angle as well. And we're, we're walking behind them too. And back at you. Yep. I mean, and really to see the success of where we've come so far with like the e-care plan and um, where it's, where it's going. And, and man, it sounds really optimistic just talking to you um, about Thank kind you. of where things are going from either getting paid for clinical services or, or getting paid to manage a member. Well, we are just, we are just the catalyst that make it happen. Uh, it really is all of your customers and, yeah. uh, and those who are, are doing the heavy lift on all of this. We're just trying to keep you in line with what the government is doing. So. <laughs> you guys are the guardrails? It's like, <laughs> We're so, the guardrails. So Shelly and yeah. Pharmacy HIT yeah. are kind of like the, the, the man behind the curtain. Yeah. It's like that, yes. this entity that nobody yeah. knows exists but is really pulling all the strings. Right, really the foundation of, of where we're trying to go with all of this kind of started with this group and, and, and a bunch of people tacking onto it. And that was really, that was really the intent of the, um, of JCPP when they formed us as the pharmacy HIT collaborative was we were, we support the profession in relationship to health IT. 
and and all of our members. And so we're really not out there. That's why we don't hold um, meetings, you know, uh, large meetings. But we help support all the meetings of our of our professional organizations. And and why I jumped at the chance to do this podcast with you because you're a valued member of the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative, and uh, we want to be there to support your efforts. I definitely uh, want to thank the pharmacy profession and professional associations for forming the Pharmacy HIT Collaborative and also for Pioneer Rx's uh, participation as a member. And uh, we appreciate you being here with us and, and helping us with these initiatives. All right, Shelly. Awesome. Uh, thanks for being on. Cool. Take care. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Catalyst Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.